Before we get started in this episode, a quick announcement. As you know, I'm very passionate about acceptance and commitment therapy, and I also run a busy practice in Canberra. We're currently looking for psychologists who are registered in Australia to join our team, who are also passionate about learning about ACT. We provide supervision on a group and individual basis and training around ACT. So if this is you, if you're interested, please express your interest at strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers. Look forward to hearing from you. And now back to this episode. Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. Welcome back to Better Thinking. My name's Nish Nikolich, and my guest today is Dr. Michael Notel. He is a senior lecturer in psychology in the Faculty of Health and Behavioral Sciences at University of Queensland. And today we talk about his research interests of effective altruism and decision making. An interesting conversation today in that Michael has interesting views about how we can most effectively give and contribute to others less fortunate from not only a an emotional level, but looking at what the science behind our decisions might do for the wider community. So really an evidence-based type of giving. I found the conversation to be very fascinating, some really great practical ways in which we can contribute and also some uh, great resources to consider when looking to give. So enjoy, as I did very much, talking to Dr. Notel. Enjoy. Michael, a big thank you for coming on to the show today. Thanks for having me, Nash. Look, I'm really excited talking to you today. I know that a lot of people and myself, we have these you know, ideas and ambitions to, to you know, be good people, to be altruistic, to you know, look after others. And you know, it's something that you know, even in first year psychology, it was an interesting conversation around you know, what, is, what is altruism if it kind of benefits the, the, the giver as well. Um, and we don't have to necessarily go go down there, but I'm really interested in finding out more, you know, in this space, you know, from you, uh, and also about how we make decisions and and how we even just view the world. So, um, thank you for coming on, and look forward to uh, you know looking at these these uh, you know, topics and ideas. Yeah, no, always excited to talk about this. So, yeah, how did you get into this space? I was um, practicing psychologist for you know, uh, probably about five years and started doing my PhD and always found decision-making really interesting because I felt like um, a lot of the, the clients that I was seeing and myself, like, you know, how we manage things was really important question, but often how we got ourselves into that situation was a factor of decision-making. Um, and it was sort of as I was doing my, my PhD that I, I stumbled across um, a few podcasts and talks around the idea of like making altruistic decisions and and how like all of the tools that we know about really good decision making in other areas of life are really hard to apply in like altruistic or pro-social decision making things. So like when you're, you know, trying to help others by volunteering or donating or, you know, dedicating a career to helping other people. Um, it's it's a whole different ballgame because you've got a whole different set of emotions and motives and things like that that um, get in the way. So I just found it a really interesting 
sort of intellectual question about how do we do the most good um but but just had immediate practical relevance for me because when i was trying to make my charitable donations at the end of the year like it totally changed my mental models about how i I could be doing that and so that was sort of how i I stumbled into it was uh listening to conversations like this over podcasts and it it just transformed the way i do a whole lot of things in my life it is an interesting space because i know when i was younger i did you know backpacking like you know many many australians do uh, and you know you see such such a hardship and and sadness and like a lot of us we try and give while we're over there but it does pose so many different questions about you know when you are giving to children in many ways you're reinforcing a behavior of you know uh, poverty potentially and at the same time it conflicts with well what do you then do you don't give to you know a child who who is you know there at ten o'clock at night um, that that is you know begging, you know you you're so at least for me I was so distressed it was so distressing um, and and you know future trips trying to take you know pencils and and uh, you know books and other things you know only to find out that a lot of these things end up being sold as well you're trying to figure out how do you do this you know and I know that World Vision uh, something that was really lovely when I was. I'm donating with, with with them is they would break it up into a pie chart and explain you know how much of your money is going where which which felt nice because it was there was, there was this transparency going on mm. um, so it's a complex space how how do we um, or what does the research show or, or from, you know, from your readings how do we look at altruism and 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 how do we make these these decisions because it's 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 complicated and. I, I think I've changed how I do it or even how I think over time to, to, to try and think about how can I give, how can I you know, support others? Yeah, it's like a, it's a really complex problem. And like you said, I think the, the hardest, I think the hardest tension is that, you know, we see things that give us this incredible motivation to do something about it. So you see, you see a kid begging on the street um, and you just have this like immediate want to try to help that, that kid as much as you can. And there's, so there's this sort of like um, almost in primal instinctual like want to help others that that drives a lot of our pro-social decision making. Um, but as you said, like there's a there's a whole lot of like doubts and questions and and domino effects that that come into that. Like and like you said, there's you know um, there's horrible stories and I don't know how much of them are true, but like you know of, of um, kids being like abducted because they're cute. But, and then used to, to, you know, as beggars because they're, they're adorable kids or, or some kids even being like, um, you know, I, w- I won't go into the stories, but like, you know, almost like made more um, uh, attractive to donate to by like maybe even, you know, inflicting scars and stuff and all these horrible things that like I don't even like thinking about. It's horrible. Um, but there's like a business model around some of this in some parts of the world, which you hate to think about. And so you're stuck with this really strong kind of conflict between really, really wanting to help, but just not knowing that the long run effects of what you're doing. And so that, I mean, I found this a little bit paralyzing and I found some things were really helpful. Like, like you said, the pie charts from World Vision or like the, the sponsor child where they give you the photo of the kid that it goes to. Um, but what changed for me was, was learning to use the, the models of like, how we know things um, work and are true from science and from, you know, even things like economics and, 
you know, taking the best models we have of science and reason and applying them to do good. Now that doesn't mean like I don't donate for things that I find emotionally compelling, but it means that like a, a big chunk of my sort of efforts and donations and things like that go towards what what we know to be most effective through things like, you know, randomized trials, right? So like when, when the COVID vaccine was coming through, we didn't just want to get a brand new jab, you know, that, that no one had tested before. <laughs> um, and it, you kind of wanted to know that it had been thoroughly tested in a, a whole po population and shown to work and work really well. But we often don't you sort of treat our, our donations with the same level of like um, caution or skepticism. We don't sort of look for the same level of evidence. And that's really important because, you know, there's a, uh, I'll take one example from psychology. There's a, a story of this program called Scared Straight. It won a, um, an Oscar award for the best documentary, you know, years ago, it's had nine TV series about this program. It was designed to sort of help, help young people stay on the straight and narrow. And so like a, a young kid gets, I don't know, um, arrested for shoplifting, they get put in the scared straight program, the, the program takes them into like a high security prison and sort of some people who have been in there for 20 years, you know, scare the scare the pants off them to show them like, look, you've got to stop shoplifting because here's what you don't want to end up like me. And this program, like I said, was really like emotionally compelling because you see these stories on TV of like the kids having their lives transformed by these conversations. But to sort of look back to what I was saying, if you when they've done randomized trials on this program where they they get a kid who's been convicted of shoplifting, they flip a coin and they decide whether they go in the scared straight program or they just go home to their parents. The kids who just go home to their parents do way better. In fact, for every dollar that they put into scared straight, it did like over two hundred dollars worth of damage to society because those kids were more likely to commit crime and get in prison down the track. And I think this like stories like this don't show me that you know, no charity works. It just shows me that you have to look at that good science to see what is working and what doesn't. And to take the extreme other end of the spectrum, um, one of the, uh, you know, the benchmarks that we use for effective charity is um, a, a charity called Give Directly. And they're the benchmark because they're pretty much the simplest, you know, model for a charitable intervention that you can think of. They take money from usually, you know, wealthy Western donors, people, people in Australia or the US like us, and they just find the poorest people in the world, find the poorest villages, the ones that don't have, you know, tin on their roof, they've just got grass. And they go around and they just give cash to the, all of the people in the village so that they've got enough money to really lift the village up, but they can do what they want with it. And they've done randomised trials on this by, by, you know, finding 100 villages and, you know, getting 50 of them to get their cash transfers and there's no increase in sort of alcohol or tobacco sales. There's none of the things that we're afraid of. There's just like radical improvements in people's sort of well-being because they're now like ha literally have a roof to sleep under that they didn't have before. And I guess what I'm trying to say is like, these are the sorts of levels of evidence that you would expect if we were undergoing our own medical treatment. You know, we, we hope that psychologists like us sort of use that to guide the treatment we do with people. And if we use the same sort of benchmarks to try to help others, we can have a radically, you know, um, radical impact on people's lives. And we can, be, we can be much more confident that the, the things that we're doing are actually helping. And so, you know, charities like Give Directly are really well audited and we know that they work really well, both from randomized trials and because we've, we, 
you know, we, we can see, you can see who the money goes to and you get these testimonies from people who get it, what they do with it. And that's the lower end of the, the top charities. Like there are charities that are 10, 20, you know, 50 times more effective than give directly. Um, but I think it's like a really useful kind of story to sort of highlight the difference between to circle back, like the, the emotional impulse that, that you and I get to help, help the kid that's begging on the street and then taking the, you know, hundred or two hundred dollars that we, we might have given it to that and then give it to the place where I know that it's going to have a really big impact with, and I can be really confident in that um, without worrying too much about sort of the downstream, you know, effects then and sort of knowing that they've been tested. And so I think it's a really hard question. Sorry. And I know I've been, uh, but like, I think the, it's trying to acknowledge both that you have these emotional responses and we want to try to use them for our, for good, but we also have these tools of science and reason and let's use them for our decision-making as well. With regards to the give directly example, uh, what were the types of things that these villagers invested in? Uh, you know, you, you yeah. did mention that obviously there is always a great fear for, for, for donors saying, Oh my goodness, you know, people are just going to go out and spend it on, on, things that give nothing back mm. uh, is there is there um uh, you know any papers that looked at what did they do with it did they collectively put in infrastructure was it more on an individual base about saying let's get the materials to buy a, a you know a mm. uh, you know to put a roof over our head is it you know, um investing yeah, in, in in farming what what what, what 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 where do we see the categories um go to yes yeah, so it's they've been I think over 50 randomized trials of what they call sort of direct cash transfers, which is the sort of model here, which is rather than us giving stuff like giving a cow or a goat, just giving cash and letting the person buy the cow or the goat. Um, and, you know, systematically, it's hard to say exactly what people buy because they buy what they need. And that's the thing. Isn't sure. it? Um, but a lot of the time it is investments, you know, it is things like, um, buying a roof, buying a, buying a cow, buying, you know, seeds for your start a business. Um, you know, some of it is, there's another um, similar organization called new incentives and what they, they, they give cash transfers, but they do it for coming to get your kid vaccinated. Um, and a lot of the time, the money for that just goes towards the, the transport to and from the medical clinic, because if you, you don't have if you're living off two dollars fifty a day which is the poverty line and there's still millions of people living below that um you don't you can't spend that money on getting a bus into town to get your kid vaccinated or on the healthcare if you could get sick and so it's all these sorts of things that you know are just basic life essentials that um you know where five hundred dollars from someone like us does it you know might be the amount that you get if you're on um you know centrelink but $500 for someone who's in the developing world can be six months or a year's worth of earnings. So just having that amount of money, um, it frees up so many other options to have, you know, food, shelter, clothing, all the things that we might kind of take for granted. And who is it that runs these randomized trials? I mean, it sounds like such an, an, an important part of looking at it. How do we improve the world? You know, because there's one thing to go out and say I've got you know good intent, um, mm -hmm. and as you say, there's nothing wrong with with you know scared straight as as the example. The intent is very very, you know, uh, thoughtful. Um, obviously, you know, 
we start looking at the the data and the data says look fear as a, as, as a response in 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 this mechanism doesn't work mm-hmm. um yeah we look at you know the new incentives or, or give directly and we see that obviously individuals can figure out what they need themselves and and there's some trials that go out and, and look at this who who runs these trials where do we even get that research sort of our funding from to just to find out how do we best you know use yeah. our use our money or at least these organizations that's a good question so um i'd say there's probably two models um one of which is that someone has a good idea for a program like give directly and they're actually like just you know a, a charity and then they will get an external um provider to to do the evaluation so there's like a a big nonprofit called ID Insight, whose whose job is to go and do like really robust evaluations of interventions that are kind of run by programs, um, and they do they always do an external provider because otherwise it's a bit like the fox guarding the hen house, right? Like if you if you asked if you asked me is my therapy working as a psychologist, I'm like yeah they're great, I can show you all these clients who did really well, and I just sort of brush under the rug the ones that didn't do so well, and so I'll, I'll package my ten antidotal together and make it look fancy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So one model is like you know um, you have someone who who has an idea, and then you get someone external to sort of evaluate it. The other model is that there are a lot of really hardworking, dedicated academics who are, you know, have dedicated their lives to global health and development, um, and they will they will run big randomised trials where, um, and there's there's institutes like uh, JPAL in the US they they run these all over the world, and um, so their whole uh, remit is to try to you know improve global health and well being as effectively as possible, and they try some things that. Um, that may work in one trial and then they'll replicate it and it doesn't work again. And, and it's just really admirable the way that some of these organizations will, will then pack up shop and close down. And I think that's really hard for a lot of people who have dedicated their life to something, you know, so there's, um, uh, there was a program that would, uh, I think it was called no lean season that recently there was a, some evidence to say that, um, during the the lean season, right, it was helpful to sort of um, help people relocate into an industrial centre. So, say you're in Bangladesh, you live on the farm, but then you know you're in the, you're not in the growing season, you're in the lean season. That if you get sort of accommodation and support to move into city centre for six months, then you can make more money, and then you can go back home, and it sort of creates this like you know um, good relationship where it takes money out back into the rural areas, and it gives the people in the rural areas work when there's no work to do out there. And that worked in one trial, but, but like fortunately, and this is the this is the really important thing about looking carefully, is they replicated it. And the next time they did the study, there was no effect of this intervention. Now the problem is that a lot of like um, when you've sort of invested your blood, sweat, and tears into creating this program, it's really tempting to keep it going even if it's not working. You know that's why there's there's still nine nine seasons of Scared Straight, even though we knew it didn't work twenty years ago, um, and. I just think it's like kind of heroic when people will, you know, swallow their pride in a sense and sort of fold up a program that doesn't work. But it's also really interesting to note that things like Scared Straight can continue even when we know it doesn't work. And I think that's because like charities aren't subject to the same sort of competitive pressures, if you will, that like a normal business is. Like if, you know, if you if you have a, a really terrible um, restaurant that serves horrible food and it's overpriced, you will go out of business. Right. But if you can keep running scared straight for 20 years and people are still sort of emotionally compelled by it because the ones donating aren't the recipients. And so this is more reasons why we, 
if we want to be effective in our sort of efforts, and we're talking about donating a lot, but the same thing applies to volunteering careers in all of those areas, it's important to use the tools that we have from science and reason to sort of do that effectively because, you know, otherwise our those biases, like wanting to keep a project running that we've started can just keep mm. us going forward. Is there a place where people can go to to find out you know, where where there are uh, empirically you know, mm. tested and, and, and demonstrated programs that we can invest in and, and, and contribute to? You mentioned that, you know, uh, although give directly is, is wonderful and, and great there are others that are um, you know have, have greater robust sort of um, you know, interventions that are empirically driven um, is there a place where people can go to or do we have to kind of just try and sift through, through <laughs> and, and find out ourselves are there, are there places yeah. that people have already validated that like yourself no, Nash, I want you to go into Google Scholar and look up the, you know, <laughs> and I mean, this is the, this was the thing. It was like, I, I knew all of these tools before, you know, 2015 when I started learning about this stuff, but that before then there really wasn't a very good place to go. And so people felt a bit hopeless and they were just subject to the marketing materials that they got where every program says, oh, here's our evaluation. Fortunately, there is, there are a number of places now, probably the best um, lightning rod for this is a, a website called Giving What We Can. Um, which is like a, an international nonprofit that's dedicated to um, kind of collating the recommendations across a whole lot of cause areas. And so we've been talking a lot about global health and development because that's like the area most people think about when they think about charity or volunteering. Like we want to help the poor, right? We, want, we don't want people to be sick. And so global health and development is one cause area, but there are people that care about lots of different stuff. Like, you know, a lot of people care about protecting the climate and the environment as effectively as possible. And so giving what we can have recommendations for that. A lot of people care about animals and animal welfare, and it's got recommendations for that, or protecting the far future, you know, is, is something that people are increasingly worried about, you know, the, the future of humanity. And it seems like a really hard problem to, to address. Um, and, and giving what we can sort of have you know, recommendations for that too. And they, they will draw from other places. So for example, GiveWell is the, the leader in evaluating global health and development. They've got 50 full-time researchers looking at what is the best way to, to help the poor or, or alleviate illness. And, you know, GiveWell and Give It What Can work together to sort of um, disseminate their recommendations. Um, but GiveWell is a great resource. If, for example, if someone is trying to, to alleviate poverty, you know, you can see their reports on every single intervention. And there's, you know, they've got their, the top five recommendations, but you can dig, you can dig right in to see the sort of the spreadsheets and the data they've used to inform it only if you're interested because they just try to be transparent. But for most people like you and I, you just sort of go, oh, wow, this looks really rigorous. I'm going to trust their judgment, <laughs> I think, um, rather than actually going into the, the spreadsheets. But, you know, I think that's better than, um, oh, just trust us. These are the, these are the best because you just don't know how, how rigorous and robust people are. Mm. I can see here just on their website that there's uh, you know improving human well-being, animal welfare, yeah. a better future across multiple cause areas, you know, giving giving us I suppose different different uh, ways in which we can can give depending on what's you know important to us. Exactly. Um, exactly, and I think that's where like I don't want people to feel like oh this is all just using data to you know and just switching off that emotional part of your brain that you and I sort of we're, we're connecting with. Right. And I think like um, this isn't just like Spock, you know, in Star Trek, just like, you know, only doing what's rational and then not really thinking about what what is rewarding. Um, 
you know, I think the the thing that is important to know is like it, it is about trying to do what you value in in a way that actually reaches what you care about, what you, reaches your goals. You know, uh, I think the um, it's I always really cared about trying to help improve people's health and well-being. That's why I became a psychologist. And sometimes I would like um, it, it takes a long time to sort of see the transformation that happens through things like therapy. But what was really nice to know is that at the end of each year, um, you know, I could donate, I think it was only a couple thousand dollars to, to have evidence backed. You have saved someone's life. And it feels incredible. That still gives me like warm fuzzies knowing that like I, I have this amazing um, impact on the world just by, you know, both through my work directly, because I find it really rewarding the, the work that I do, but also through the, you know, the donations and the time that I invest otherwise. That, and so, you know, I think it's important to, to connect with what you value, but also, you know, not, not just do the, the, uh, the first thing that comes to your mind as far as trying to, to get there. It really changes the way that I'm thinking about. It. I'm, I'm I'm just on the you know giving what you can, and there's so many different recommendations. Ones that I, uh, not even recommendations, just areas, uh, ones that I haven't even thought about, which you know have kind of struck me. Uh, obviously, you know what we've discussed in terms of you know animal welfare and humane and mm-hmm. and, and you know future funds, you know patient mm-hmm. philanthropy, climate change global catastrophic risk, um, infrastructure, malaria. Uh, but interesting here, even like Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security, like, you know, giving funding to research, which obviously is, is you know, probably a large portion of this about how, how yeah. we, you know, come up with technological change or not even that, how, how we find it to, you know, how to create, create things that are actually viable for communities to use, you know, often the technology is already there, but how a culture adopts that and and, and the complexities, and then you know all, all the other bits and pieces, it's fascinating just looking through this this list. Yeah, I think, and you do maybe don't immediately think about why funding something like John Hopkins Center for Health Security would be like as impactful as you know donating $100 to the beggar that we see on the street, right? And it feels very different. That's the difference. It's mm, like it feels mm. like, you know, there's a there's an immediate I give that person receives and they, it improves their well-being straight away thing that is appealing about sort of knowing where you're, like, um, like giving directly to that person, right? But I think the, the thing that John Hopkins, if you can use that as an example, is that even though there's sort of a few more dominoes that have to fall, the, the scope of the benefit is just so big that um, there's, a, there's a meme where you, like, you knock these tiny domino and the dominoes get bigger and then these massive dominoes fall over. And I think like that's kind of where those, if you, if you can understand or, or if you see the benefit in that, you can have a huge impact. And it's not for everybody, but to take the John Hopkins example, they were real leaders in the COVID response um, and in, in trying to get, you know, good recommendations, good data to... Um, governments about how they should be responding you know if you think about some of the biomedical companies that created a covid vaccine in four days you know after the uh, after covid was sequenced like that just shows how one how like technology and funding research can just have these radical benefits for us but also how there's still a lot of work to do because you know that took that took nine months for that vaccine that got developed to be approved and into someone's arms and there's 
there is research that can make that much more efficient. Um, and if you can think about this, like how many lives that would have saved, you know, it was like, I think 28 million people died from COVID. If we'd had vaccines, you know, more widely distributed in, in one month instead of 10, that's, that's a huge number of lives that we could have saved. Not to mention the whole, like the catastrophic effect on the economy and society um, while we waited for vaccines to come along and be, be approved. So like, I know that feels very different. Um, and, and there's a there's a really hard psychological bug there, which is that the more the more people there are, you know, it doesn't like it's not like we care ten times as much when there's ten times as many people affected by something. Um, some, an analogy I used for that is there was a paper in Nature Food this year that said a nuclear war that used one percent of the nuclear arsenal would kill five hundred million people. That was just if one percent. So if India and Pakistan had a nuclear war, it wouldn't just be India and Pakistan. It'd be a global problem. Now, I actually left a zero off that. The actual number from that paper was 5 billion people. Now, your personal chance of dying just went up a lot, but like the emotion doesn't really change. Like, you know, you kind of, it still just feels like a big number. <laughs> and that's a psychological bug. That's not a feature. That's not like a good thing that our brains do because it means that we don't, we don't care about big problems or, you know, big numbers of people that could be saved by a better response to COVID as much as we care about the difference between, you know, um, like, you know, one person and two people getting helped. And so like, because our emotions don't scale with the size of a problem, we're sometimes bad at looking at things that affect millions or literally billions of people. And so to come back to your example, you know, I think John Cox is a really good organization and they don't get enough funding and and they can do incredible research that could save us from the next pandemic um and if you know if you find that compelling then that that could have more of an impact than like we talked about sort of some of the the other ways of we're trying to do good but more based on emotion is that how we primarily still do donations to, to charities it, it's still primarily the hook that grabs most of us is, you know, seeing an advert, advert or something like that, which, you know, shows, you know, often children, you know, is something that, that mm -hmm. we get stuck on uh, for good reason. Uh, but is that, is that mm. the, the, the most sort of common way that, 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 that we give, you know, what, what are the methods? I know it's changed over time. You know, it used to be a lot more people out in the streets um, mm. that we would see, you know, canvassing donors, um, uh, you know, obviously television that we'd see, um, you know, there would be kind of annual campaigns for, for a particular type of giving, you know, what is, is there segments uh, as to how, you know, these, this, this is, you know, uh, being sort of elicited. Is it, um, you know, specific campaigns that were a little bit more, more, more targeted. I know now, like, you know, even all the apps and that sort of stuff, you know, we did September here in the office, we did it this year and we did it last year. Yeah. And, um, you know, part part of the frustration with this year was, you know, I didn't find the app was very you know, helpful and it was a bit, a bit <laughs> sort of frustrating. And it, even, even something as silly as that, which just sounds ridiculous as it comes out of my mouth, gets you to start questioning whether you want to do that again, right? Um, <laughs> that, it's, like, it's, it's almost it's, like you've lost the cause because you're frustrated with with an app. Totally. This is just nonsense, right? But totally. um, but it's true, right? Yeah. No, look, and I think like, you know, um, Danny Kahneman and Amos Tversky are famous for sort of 
highlighting the difference between like system one and system two thinking like the fast thinking that is automatic and then our sort of slow more deliberative more rational thinking and we did a review recently um that looked at all of the all of the ways of fundraising that have been supported by you know um systematic reviews and meta-analyses like the best type of evidence and almost all of them were like things that tried to to nudge you or you know use that fast thinking you know it was all of the, like show a like you said, an image of one individual child who was struggling. Um, and that's because it sort of hits that that primal instinct. And in the same way, like you said, the, you know, if there's like a, a little bit of frustration that comes from trying to use some interface, like, you know, the, the app for September, that can be enough of a barrier to, um, to keep people kind of out of that cause, right? Because they're like, oh, this is sort of frustrating me. And it sort of shows that just a minor frustration with an app or like a, a a really nice emotion of like care that you get from you know hearing the story of like a the difference you can make on a single child those make it those those do influence our our behavior in a way that isn't always aligned with our goals that's mm. the thing right like you know you you wanted to support the cause um that that step tempo was aligned with and the app was annoying and so even though your goal was to try to support that cause like the app sort of made like oh i can't be bothered um and i guess like my solution to this is to um try to pre-commit to things in a way that like mean that i don't i'm not so um blown around by my my emotions in the same way that you know when you i don't know sign up for um like a, a gym membership or with a you know a, uh you kind of pre-committing to doing something in a way that gets you to to do what is aligned with your goals like I've got a friend who will pay sixty dollars a week to to do, you know, high intensity interval training at his like an F forty five near him, and he doesn't see the sixty dollars as like a cost because it gets him to go. The guilt of not doing it um, gets him up at, at five in the morning and out the door. And so, my, like you know, my approach is like a, a giving what we can and offer a like a like a, pl a community of people who've taken a pledge to donate a certain amount every year. Um, and so like I, I chose to donate at least 10% of my income towards like the most effective charities. And then that's taken sort of my thinking out of it so much because I'm like, okay, I know that I'm just going to look at my tax return and look at my income and donate 10% and then, um, and then not have to sort of deliberate every time that a, someone comes up to me with a bucket on the street. And if there is something that really connects with me emotionally, then I might still donate to it. But I know that like, at least that's more like a, a discretionary decision in my head rather than like the part of me that wants to improve the world through my from my donations per se is sort of committed to doing this thing once a year at this time um and it means that i don't get blown off course in the same way that my exercise routine does if i'm sleep deprived with my two children so like you know i think that that um that's where like the tools of of psychology can kind of help us get less pushed around by the other tools of psychology that are around trying to just get us to to donate twenty dollars once to the person on the street. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, uh, it's I suppose in in a sense trying to do do it based on a committed action from a values perspective rather than going out and, and, and say I'm just going to be pushed around by my feelings, my emotions at the time, and and you know. Uh, at that point it's you know what 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 marketing is the best at that moment you know is it that little child that you know uh, pulls my heartstrings you know is it is it that um you know i get i get 
pulled up on the street and I feel embarrassed not to, um, you know, do something. All these things that that aren't necessarily from a you know pledge perspective uh, that are considered, and that's sort of slow thinking to say, you know, where can I give most effectively um, that that's in line with what I believe in, you know, whether it's the you know Johns Hopkins type, or whether it's for a vision loss you know scenario, Fred Hollows or the many probably hundreds around the world that are still available. Uh, there, there, there's so many things that I can kind of select from, but. It comes from a, this is a commitment. This is the way that I want um, to to uh, give um, rather than I just wait for an opportunity to come up that pulls my heartstrings in that That's moment, it. which is usually, a, you know, they're, they're usually a one-off scenario, which, you know, it either grabs you or it doesn't. Um, but uh, I imagine these days as well, many of us are, have seen so many of them that, you know, we, we, we probably don't, you know, uh, we're kind of, uh, uh, you know, we're exposed so much that we just um, switch off. It just becomes a new totally. ad. Yeah, you, and yeah, I think that people have become fatigued with, you know, all of the solicitation options. And, and it, I mean, they, they clearly they wouldn't keep doing it if it wasn't working. It's just like sure. you said that they they they're getting us to act on something out of like more of an avoidant motive, which has you know, I like the way that you talked about you know, um, committed action aligned with your values, you know, I think, and I think that was what, you know, I, I, I thought a lot about that around the time when I was making these commitments. And I do want to look back on my life as someone who's like really made a difference on the world. I don't want to look back on my life as someone who's just sort of like only responded to others when they've asked me for it or only done it out of guilt. Right. <laughs> and I think like, that's, that's why it's like, I've found it really helpful to not feel like pulled around by guilt by making those commitments, but also like, it's, it's just a really nourishing way for me to work, act on my values and know that I'm, I'm doing that um, each year. And it means that I can still splurge on the kids at Christmas time. Um, but like, because I've, I've made that, that commitment along with my values that I can, I can love my kids and my family and I can help the people in the world who need it the most. Mm-hmm. I was also listening to, to, to recently, Forgotten his name, but he's a social um, uh, social scientist. He was on Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman um, podcasts, uh, and he was talking about really ridiculously simple things that that um, you know, can change the world immensely uh, for just such a low dollar value. And so, you know, he was arguing uh, really strong points that kind of seem so contradictory to what people would be discussing um not kind of saying that these other things don't work he was saying just based on a per dollar value you know to address things like you know malaria or you know um particular disease i can't remember what it was exactly so it's not very helpful in what i'm saying but i think i know the example just astonishing it was kind of like you know for for 13 cents you know per person we could go out and wipe out x or something it was like oh my goodness like this is just crazy Easy versus you know some sort of intervention that was costing you know hundreds of millions if not billions that that uh, just looks good on paper but uh, the yeah. the affect per person was low in comparison to to these other interventions and I was blown away just going wow we need to be hearing much more of this and yeah you know, here I am saying this but I forgot what the cause was but it was it was uh, <laughs> it was incredible it was incredible so let me give you, let me give you like two examples like. 
One is that, um, like I went, to a, I went to a really nice school in Sydney and every year they ask us for donations for school uniforms. That's $1,000 for school uniforms for one kid. And like as an old boy of that, you know, school, there's sort of this emotional kind of connection to my, my tribe and my school that I wanted to like support the next generation of kids that go through that. And just to like, if I was trying to improve education with $1,000, I could donate it to that school and buy one kid school uniforms. But like, this is where like, it's really interesting just the scale of the difference that you can make if you think more carefully about what you care about. So if you care about education and you don't care about where the, where the kids are born, you know, that thousand dollars can buy a hundred kids uniforms in Kenya. I'm like, okay, so it's like either one Sydney boy, it's a boy school, or like a hundred kids in Kenya. Okay, that, that's that's a big difference. But then the it turns out that school uniforms aren't like the best way to increase education. It's often not the barrier that we think it is. Um, one of the barriers is that some parents don't think that that school will help them with the jobs that they need. And so parental education is about 10 times better than giving school uniforms. And that doesn't, that's because in Australia, we just don't realize that that's a, a barrier. But then one of the biggest things that stop kids in the developing world from, from going to school is because they've got, they've got worms and they're sick all the time. And so they can't go to school and they fall behind. And then once they fall behind, you know how hard it is to catch back up. And treating worms is just like an incredibly cheap intervention. Like you said, it's, it's cents on the dollar. Like I think it is like somewhere between 10 and 20 cents to deworm a child. And so they go into a town, it might cost you $1,000 to deworm thousands of kids, right? And you've just like eradicated that whole, you know, um, worming problem in that whole, that whole village. And so all these kids are now able to go to school and keep up. And so you, it, it ends up being about 10,000 times more effective to donate towards something which doesn't seem related to education, which is like reducing worms in the developing world. Um, and that's just one really compelling example of like how, if we think about what am I actually trying to do? I'm trying to help kids get an education and I'm not prejudicing them based on whether they live. Like, here's what happens if I use the evidence. And it's the same for improving health. Like, you know, it's really boring. This is why it's neglected, but like, giving kids a bed net that's treated with a anti um like a anti mosquito pesticide and like it's so good for the kids because like malaria is still killing you know hundreds and thousands of kids every every day i think i could be wrong about this but i'm pretty sure it's one kid every minute dies of malaria which means in the time that we've had this interview 40 kids have died and it costs $2 to give the whole family an insecticide treated bed net. And so like, you know, if, if we had sort of spent this time raising money to donate to them, we could have saved 40 kids in the time that we've been having this interview. It's just the scale of the problem. And it is so solvable by people like us with making good decisions, you know, about how we can do that most effectively. And I, I find that really inspiring. Like I, I think some people find that the weight of that really heavy and I think it is a bit like you can hold you know two emotions at once you can hold sort of like um the, the weight of that but the inspiration that the decision that you make today could save at least one of those kids like i think that's really compelling um but yeah i do wish like we talked about this more but it's sort of it isn't as sexy right and it's not as novel because this has been a malaria has been a problem for hundreds of years um and we're making massive progress on it but that isn't as newsworthy as you know, a, a, a diplomatic visit to a, a foreign country, right? Like we want to, we want to know what's happening in politics um, because it sort of really personally affects us and it changes every day. Um, 
And so, yeah, it's, it is hard to sort of cut through with the stuff that really can have a huge impact on, on some people. Yeah. Are there other examples that you can think of, of, of where, you know, that kind of thousand dollars for a uniform versus you know, the potential of, you know, 10,000 yeah. people or, or maybe not that much, but, you know, uh, 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 you know, yeah. two or 3000 people being, being, you know, uh, given the opportunity to go to school because of the deworming or, or other scenarios, um, you know, for for you know for, for myself uh, for for our listeners to think about, you know, when when we are looking at causes or ways or even organisations, um, you know, because malaria is just, you know, sadly it's it's not sexy anymore. You know, it, it it's it, it's something yeah, exactly. we've, we've heard of, and I know I know it was a long time ago now when when. Bill Gates decided to to do the you know Bill and Melinda Foundation step away from mm. from uh, Microsoft, um, and I, I remember you know his huge you know um, uh, commitment to to doing that work, but obviously a lot of his funds that went into that. And and I remember at the time I think it was Warren Buffett was number two of the world's richest list, and he donated you know a large portion of his of his funds. And and I, I've watched an interview and they've asked him you know why why did you give you know, why did the second richest man in the world give all his money to the first richest man? And, and his response was, because <laughs> Bill knows how to spend money better than I do. Um, you know, he, he understood what what you're talking about today of, of you know, I don't know where to apply apply that money. I don't know, you know what are the, 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 the good places to, to provide that. And you know, if we look at some of the work that the Bill and Melinda Foundation, at least from, I mean, yeah. This is mine's very low low level, but but it seems like they've done incredible work around the world, particularly in disease um, and, and you know vaccinations and the like, um, among many other things. But you know, uh, are there any other examples that come to to, to mind or, or, or um, uh, ways, yeah. and even even some local stuff? I know that you know we we tend to do so much developing country stuff. Mm. Uh, and maybe that's because it's just so cost effective. Um, yeah. uh, but, uh, you know, might, yeah, might be a bit some, harder to do it in Australia. I've got some sort of local examples that maybe come from the other things that people care about. And so, like, a, to link him to some of the threads that we've been talking through today, one concrete example is do, do you know that Australia has won a, we've won a lot of Nobel Prizes for medicine. But we've also once won the Nobel Prize for Peace. Do you do you do you know what we won that for? Absolutely no idea. I don't even know <laughs> that we won it for peace. Isn't that incredible? It, yeah, I know. This is amazing, right? So Australia, um, or Australian organisation, won the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, one of the the people who started it was Tillman Ruff, who was a, a, a medical doctor, and he won it because you know. Australia has for a long time been a real leading voice in in addressing the risk from nuclear weapons. And, you know, he, he and others helped start the, you know, International Coalition to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And they, you know, started 10 or 20 years ago, but they, they, they helped create a United Nations agreement to ban nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons are now sort of illegal according to, to um, international law and that was largely because of like the the work of people like that and you know australia still australia has committed to sort of signing on to that ban but they have not done that um and like i said earlier like there's there's five billion lives 
sort of that risk from nuclear weapons. And as stuff goes on in, in Ukraine and Russia and there's stray missiles hitting Poland, like this affects us and it can affect us and it can affect everybody that's alive today. And there are things that us Australians can do, not with our money, Matt, just much, maybe with our time. But like if you have a look at the um, ICANN Australia website, they've got things that we can do to try to, um, you know, increase or advocate for that for that ban. If, if, if you don't want people to die from nuclear weapons, there are things that you and I can do. It sort of feels like something that the UN has to do, but that's not true. There are things that we can do as just Australian citizens. Um, and the same, the same thing might like apply to something like climate change, where like, like you, my, I'm sure that you do things in your day-to-day life to really try to do your best to try to tackle climate change. Like, you know, we run around changing a lot of light globes to make them high-efficiency LEDs. My wife and I sold our second car, so we've got one and we've got a hybrid and we try to recycle and I compost and all that sort of stuff. Um, the, the challenge is, and like all of those things are really important and they make me sort of feel like day-to-day I'm trying to minimise my impact on, on, the, on the climate. But as far as the, the most effective ways of addressing climate change, they are at like a, um, an intergovernmental kind of level. And it might not feel like there's a whole lot that you can do about that, but there really is. So if you have a look at um, like Giving What We Can's website, they've got some recommendations for, for climate change. And a lot of them are trying to make it easier for developing countries to either become technologically advanced while skipping the step around using fossil fuels, fossil fuels. Or for example, there's a, an organization called the Coalition for Rainforest Nations, which is where if, you, if you're somewhere like Brazil at the moment, you've got all this land that you actually as a country get more income by, by demolishing the Amazon and putting cows on it, right? And not only does that demolish the Amazon, which is like, you know, the world's lungs, but the cows are also producing a whole lot of um, carbon, well, like, you know, for, um, greenhouse gases, usually methane. And there's no sort of real self-interested incentive for them to not do that at the moment. But the Coalition for Rainforest Nations is an organisation giving them that incentive. They are saying that if, if you're Norway and you don't have the land or the sun to do a whole lot of um, solar or wind generation, so you, you are reliant on, you know, fossil fuels or non-renewable energy, what can you do? What you, one thing they can do is they can sort of subsidise or keep pay to incentivise these rainforest nations to keep their rainforests. And what you need is someone to, you know, to audit and check that the, the rainforests are staying there. And it turns out that like a dollar to support the Coalition for Rainforest Nations, you know, supports them, say, sending an economist in to, to audit the the you know um, deforestation rates in these areas and support those countries to be part of this global community and again it's a little bit like the john hopkins relationship where it doesn't feel as immediate as me like you know composting our scraps um but the scale of the benefit for the Mm -hmm. globe through supporting the giving what we can recommendations for climate change is literally hundreds of thousands more effective than, than my little scraps going into the compost bin versus into the rubbish bin. And so I, both are important and one doesn't preclude me from doing the other, but when it comes to like, um, you know, some of the personal decisions that we make, it is better for me to keep our, a little hybrid than to buy an electric car and, and keep the money that we would have spent on that difference 
and put it towards something like the Coalition for Rainforest Nations, just as far as the impact that I have on the world. If I don't care about having a brand spanking new Tesla in the driveway, which, which to be honest, I don't, you know, if I live by my values, I care more about the impact I have on the world. It's also interesting how much uh, avoidance we, we um, are up against as our nature to make these decisions, you know, talking about that decision-making process. I, I know if I look at really clever campaigns that have just created a low friction environment for me to be able to do something mm-hmm. has made it much more likely that I do that. So, for example, mm-hmm. I know that uh, when there was a campaign around trying to introduce euthanasia to different states around Australia, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd receive an email and it was so brilliantly put together that all I'd need to do is click a button and yeah. that button would pre-populate a script, you know, a letter um, mm-hmm. with, you know, the relevant minister's uh, uh, details in it. And I could yeah. just, you know, just hit send, you know, it would, yeah. it would have my, it would already have my um, you know, signature block in there. And, and so our ministers could hear from many multiple people that it was actually something that was important. If that wasn't set up that way, they would have never heard from me or others to say it was important because trying to find the minister's email, then writing something up is all time and labor intensive versus a button. You know, similarly, there's, you know, a recent one, which is the, you know, media diversity thing that um, uh, I think it's a, um, uh, uh, Kevin, Kevin Rudd, Kevin Rudd. Um, yeah. and you know he's got people looking no, after Turnbull, that. I think we're, we're both and then, that's right, and, and Turnbull. That, you know, we're just hitting a button to say hi. We just think it's lovely to have lots of voices. You know, it's it's not a it's, it's not a strange concept. I think most people would say, yeah, we we like diversity. You know, as a matter of fact, forget just media, everything. You know, that's why we have lots of restaurants. We like diversity inside, but it's really hard to get that message out there and that friction point um mm-hmm. you know is, is 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 where we kind of fall down and hence why i really love this concept of you know giving what we can you can go to somewhere where you know it's been vetted by um you know academics that have looked at it you know from a point of you know you know sensing the dollar for malaria or worming or whatever it might be and and know um that i might not know every single one but in my limited time, because I'm caught up in my own silly Western world, um, uh, which you know is valid as well, but uh, it, yeah. I don't have to try and actually become an expert, and I can give in a in a in a appropriate and and meaningful way that's going to actually um, make a difference. Whether it's let's stop cutting the lungs of the world down, uh, or you know let, let, let let's leave children, um, you know. Be, be schooled or, or remove them from harm's way or, or let's put a roof over someone or, or let's just give money to the absolute mega, mega poor and they'll figure out what they need to do with it because they're trying to live like you and I are. And so they'll know if they need a, a cow or some medication or some transport or some books, so they'll figure out what they need. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more that like, you know, decision-making is really hard and like that, especially that, system two decision making your your pupils literally dilate with the effort when you have to make a hard decision like that and so our our brains will automatically try to choose the thing that has the least friction you know and if it if we can contribute to a political campaign by just clicking a button that's going to be a whole lot easier than having to write your script from scratch you know i think um i can do that well they have like a whole 
you know, flowchart and a template email. And a, like you said, you just put in your postcode and it'll figure out who you've got to send to. That's the nuclear weapons group. So, and I think all of those things make a really big difference. And the really hard trade-off is that sometimes the things that require a little bit more thinking, like going to give you what we can's website, you know, to, to pick a cause area is where we can make such a big difference because everybody else is sort of piled into the areas that are, are super are immediately easy and like that maybe the best example of this is that remember in the japanese earthquake that um where fukushima got taken out and there was so there was nuclear fallout there was earthquake there was the tsunami everything um it was all over the news for weeks and so the you know the red cross got you know overloading amount of like material stuff right like blankets and beds and clothes and things like that Japan didn't need any of that. I think it actually cost them money to dispose of the things that people kind of gave. And like, it, it's like a really hard thing because like emotionally you just want to help, you know, like the, um, in Haiti, there was that earthquake about 10 years ago. Mm. The Red Cross got, I think $500 million. It was like their, their biggest fundraising effort ever because it was all over the news constantly for weeks. But after six years, they, you know, because the, the UN helped support Haiti, um, the EU kind of helped support Haiti. The Red Cross actually didn't have that much left to, to do. And after six years that people went and asked them what they did, they only managed to build six houses because everybody else had sort of like piled into the problem already. And so as much as I totally agree that our, our monkey mind, to use that metaphor, will like go for the thing that other people are doing and talking about and that's on the news, it doesn't take much effort to break away and like just do a little bit of extra thinking. And I think having some resources like give well and giving what we can 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 really help us make those decisions in a way that they're actually helping rather than harming whether you know the government has to sell off all the stuff that we we donated with, with good intent with good intent you know this is the hard thing is that it's it's all helping us live by our values right like all of us want to you know the core principles here is that it's good to help others and it's good to help more people than less people and that you know our resources are limited so we have to make decisions but that all people are equal no matter where or when they're born. And if you buy those four things, which I think are pretty common sense to most of us, then you know, just using science and reason to do that better is just helping you live by your values more effectively. And that's where places like, you know, and I, you know, I'm not I'm not part of giving what we can, but I love their work. Um, and so I can't recommend them more highly. Michael, what other resources are out there? How can people find out more about you and your work? Um, you know, what, what what else would be you know helpful for others to follow up on if they wanted to following this conversation? Yeah, so the um, I, I I'm not part of Giving What We Can, but I am part of Effective Altruism Australia, which is a charitable organisation that helps Australians donate to the things that are recommended by Giving What We Can. And so, you know, we're um, for about five or ten years, we've been helping Australians donate to some of those top charities that we've we've talked about, like Against Malaria Foundation and New Incentives. So, if if, if Australians want to donate to help the help poor people who need it most, then um, effectivealtruism.org.au is the best place to go. And, and next year, we will have a an environmental arm where people can donate to the most effective climate charities. Um, and so that's, I would have a look at effectivealtruism.org.au if you, if you want to have an influence through your, your time or your donations. Um, but if anyone wants to learn more about me and my research, it's just uh, my surname, so notel.com.au, um, where I'm, I'm, through my academic work, I'm trying to look at how we can make better 
decisions about how to help others. And I think that's a really hard problem as we talked about. And so if anyone wants to learn more about that, you can just look at my website. So it's notel.com.au and notel is N-O-E-T-E-L.com.au. Yeah, thanks, Nash. Michael, thank you so much for 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 your time. It really has changed the way that I've thought about this, and and you know, honestly, to find out that there are these other places that have done all the work, you know, that 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 uh, these are people who've who spent a lifetime looking at these problems, and and you know, they're going to be much more well versed than the average person. You know, someone like yourself that's passionate about about this, and and you know, can put put your um you know, your, your hand up and say, I've looked at this and, and there's, you know, very strong merit, not only from a from an emotional, you know, perspective, uh, but in actual fact that, you know, when when the money hits the, the the ground, it does what it's supposed to be doing and it and it's effective based on, you know, comparatively with, with, with others. You know, it's a very warming, um, you know, uh, idea so that we can contribute as Australians, you know, in a much better better way and and um you know know that we actually are working in a global global space these days um certainly not removing anything from from our local inter- interventions mm. uh, but i think that domino effect is, is understood whether it's here local or global um, we are in a world now where uh, you know what we do in australia uh, you know changes what happens around the world and vice versa um, you know we're, we're all you know reminded of that daily so um yeah appreciate your time michael um it, it's been incredibly insightful and, uh, and, and incredibly helpful and, and we'll put some of those links up on our page as well. Thanks, Nesh, and thanks for all the work you do to uh, effectively improve the world. Thanks. Bye. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review, subscribe, share it via social media and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and be part of a bigger team, develop your experience and get into some exciting work, come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.